Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. And today on another episode of Podcast Summer Camp, or our amazing talks with the podcasting women this summer, we are talking with Lauren Shacker, Maggie Levin, and Emily Blake of Chicks Who Script. Yeah, this fearsome threesome are a group of filmmakers and more specifically screenwriters out in Hollywood. And we've talked about Hollywood and women and gender and feminism so many times on the podcast, Caroline. We've talked about women behind the camera, in front of the camera, diversity, uh, representation, the importance of Hollywood not ghettoizing women into rom-com only territory. And these are three women we were so excited to talk about because they have boots on the ground experience with all of these kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was actually really refreshing to hear from them, not only about their experiences and how they got into this line of work, and also how to keep their motivation up and just keep writing. But it was also so refreshing to hear that they do think that things are slowly but surely getting better for women in Hollywood, specifically screenwriters. Yeah, even in the past few years, they've noticed how the tone of their podcast, Chicks Who Script, has become a little bit more positive. There are still issues that we're going to talk about um, and challenges for being a woman screenwriter um, and a woman who doesn't necessarily want to be a Hollywood starlet. That's mind-blowing to a lot of people in L.A. and elsewhere. Um, but they had so many great insights. And first, I wanted to give a little bit of a historical shout-out, Caroline, mm-hmm. to set the tone for this episode. Um, I discovered this morning a woman named June Mathis. Now, have you ever heard of June Mathis? Nope. Neither had I. <laughs> But she's a woman that we should absolutely know when it comes to Hollywood history because she was the very first female executive in the industry. And she got her start as a screenwriter Hmm. because back in the silent era, a lot of women were writing a lot of notable screenplays at the time. And she uh, ended up amassing 114 screenwriting and co-writing credits to her name. So go-getter that she was, obviously. In 1920, she was appointed head of MGM's script department, making her the first ever executive, and I think the highest paid executive at Hmm. the time. I bet she wore snappy suits. She might have worn snappy suits. From what I could tell, thanks to Google Image, she (laughs) had uh, short brown hair, Uh and she had a clever smile. Oh, good. Yes. It's good to keep a smile on your face when you're a woman in Hollywood. And not surprisingly, as a woman who has over a hundred screenwriting credits, she had quite a way with words. Mm -hmm. And not surprisingly, as someone with over 100 Hundred film credits, she absolutely had a way with words. So, would you like to hear an inspirational quote to kick off this interview with Chicks Who Script? Would I? I need Pinterest content for later. <laughs> so, yes, please. Well, here you go. Write it down, Caroline. <laughs> so, June Mathis once said, "If you are vibrating on the right plane, you will inevitably come in contact with others who can help you. It's like tuning in on your radio. If you get the right wavelength, you have your station." Oh, I love that. Yeah. That is something Oprah would totally say. Absolutely. And something that probably Maggie, Lauren, and Emily of Chicks Who Script would agree with. Because listeners, if you are someone who, obviously, if you're an aspirational screenwriter, filmmaker, actor, anyone who is interested in that industry, but also just someone curious about what it takes to maintain self-promotion and motivation when the gender odds might seem stacked against you, then this is a conversation for you. You have tuned in, as June Mathis would say, to the right station. That's right. And so without further ado, let's hear it from Lauren, Maggie, and Emily. Chicks Who Script, thanks so much for talking to us today. Thanks for having us. We're super excited. Also, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So for listeners who haven't heard of you, could you just introduce yourselves and also introduce the podcast? Absolutely. Um, My name is Maggie Levin. I'm Lauren Shacker. I'm Emily Blake. And you'll hear that a lot if you listen to the podcast. (laughs) Yes. Together we are Chicks Who Script, which is a podcast about screenwriting and filmmaking. Um, 
it's for everyone, but by women and with a emphasis on women's perspective and uh, representing women well in cinema. Um, so we sort of talk about the whole scope of movies and movie making from the female perspective. Great. Well, just to continue a little bit more getting to know you, because you all collectively do so many things. Could you just talk about each of your backgrounds and sort of the origin story of Chicks Who Script? Why Why start a podcast? Well, uh, I'm Emily. Um, uh, I went to, uh, there's a very popular podcast in the screenwriting world called um, Script Notes. It's run by John August and Craig Mazin. And uh, they did a live episode of their show, which was a superhero spectacular. It was all about superheroes. And, and um, so they had a lot of bald white guys on the stage um, and one woman. And uh, she probably said a little less than all the guys did. I mean, she was great, but she didn't talk as much. And that was the episode where Craig Mazin started talking about Slut Hulk and how She-Hulk had only been created as a, um, a character for the Hulk to sleep with, which is not true, even remotely. Um, and uh, on top of that, the only people who spoke, who asked questions at Q&A were all guys. The women had gotten up, but... By the time all the guys finished talking, it was too late and the thing was over. So there was barely any female representation during the night. And I was complaining about that. Not necessarily Craig and John's fault, but uh, it happened. And um, I was talking about that, complaining about that on Twitter, and Lauren commented about it. And um, and I was like, this is... Because, you know, we all listen to Script Notes. It's a it's a popular podcast for a reason. And, um, and so I was just joining in with Emily and being like, is there a podcast where women talk about screenwriting. In fact, is there anything where women talk about screenwriting? Uh, And we couldn't think of any, and we were talking, and all of a sudden people on Twitter were just like, we'll listen. And we were like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And then we decided that, okay, we were just going to do it, make a podcast, and then we roped Maggie in, and then it was too late to turn back. Yeah. So, uh, the podcast just, we kind of just announced that we were doing it and we got our first guest. We had and, a huge support from the community. Oh yeah. The, Cause the sc- screenwriting Twitter is a real thing. It's a pretty tight knit community. Some novices, some like superheroes in the screenwriting world. And, um, and yeah, people were really responsive and supportive right off the bat. And like, I think within a week of announcing we were doing the podcast, I was on the phone with Nicole Perlman, who wrote Guardians of the Galaxy, and um, she was super on board, and then we were off to the races. Well, that's amazing. What does screenwriting Twitter look like? And did everybody <laughs> did everybody immediately pile on when you said you were doing this and, and commit to listen, and what was the excitement and the response like? Uh, I think it was, yeah, we, we just happened to find a, a, a niche that hadn't been filled before, um, because as soon as, I mean, as soon as I joined the conversation, it's true, people, people that we didn't know from all over the world and people of some renown in Hollywood were all like, yeah, there's a need for this, um, we would love to listen, and then it became pretty clear from early on, um, the sort of guest recommendation level was super high from the get-go. It was like girls really wanted to talk about screenwriting, and then people wanted to talk to the girls about screenwriting. It was a cool thing. And, yeah. and it's weird because uh, trying to explain this to people, to friends of mine who are not screenwriters, like they're like, "Wait, you know people on Twitter? How's that? Like you have mutual friends on Twitter?" And yeah, screenwriting on Twitter is actually a pretty insulated world. Everybody kind of knows each other. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it, screenwriting is a completely isolated. Uh, profession, right? So you've got all these people who aren't used to being out talking to other people. In fact, they aren't. They're sitting in their home office or like studio office or wherever just writing. And now they have a chance to be communicating in public. It's like, it's, uh, it's sort of a happy accident and it's small enough that we are in it, yeah. I guess. Well, and it became a really, I don't know, Twitter became a really easy access place for screenwriters to give each other advice and, uh, help each other through the various, uh, highs and lows of this industry. Um, it, it's 
It's pretty cool, the, the screenwriting Twitter click. It is something <laughs> that we repeatedly recommend to anybody who wants to get into screenwriting is that they at least get on Twitter for this community because it's because it's so strong and informative. And it's a very supportive place to ask yeah. advice. Yeah. So did Twitter influence y'all's friendship, your collective friendship, or how did you meet IRL offline? <laughs> um, this is how we met. Lauren and I went to a theater conservatory together um, in New York, a place called the Neighborhood Playhouse. So we were already connected that way. Um, and then... Emily and I knew each other, I think, from, from Twitter initially. Yeah, yeah, and you asked me, and then I walk Maggie's dog. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, when I joined in, I'm really lucky because Lauren and Emily were already sort of these tenants of the feminist screenwriting community, and, and they just... Uh, tenants. Tenants? <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> pillars is actually oh, the word. Pillars. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> um, I'm putting that on my resume in my business cards. Pillar yeah. of the feminist screenwriting community on Twitter. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but the uh, the trust level was there with our with our audience right away. It was pretty cool. Yeah, Lauren and I hadn't met until the day we all three got like in person. Until the day yeah. all three of us got together and with our computers, and we're just like, okay, how do we make this happen? Deciding whether or not to have a website. Yeah. That's all them. I was like, let's have a Tumblr page. <laughs> <laughs> so this was facilitated through Twitter. That's so cool. Yeah. 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 Twitter yeah. And, and dog walking. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, well, you mentioned feminism, and uh, I definitely want to get back to that. But first, can you give our listeners just a quick glimpse into sort of what a day in the life of a screenwriter is like, if there e- even is a day in the life of a screenwriter. I know you mentioned, like, you know, being locked away in a room, solitary <laughs> all day typing. I think everybody's is different, really. I mean, yeah. some people like to go to coffee shops. Some people like to sit at their offices. Some people sit on their couches. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, you and a laptop, and that's that's the job. So you can kind of do it anywhere. I mean, the if that's one thing we've taken away from the podcast, it is that uh, they're... There's a, a million different ways to go at this. And, you know, the uh, as you start to do this for money, then it becomes inclusive of a lot of meetings, a lot of going to very fancy buildings where they hand you a water <laughs> bottle and then you talk about your awesome story and how excited you are about it and you hope that they get excited too. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's coffee shop writers, there's pajama writers. Uh, it's all over the map. Yeah. And some people write for very long spans of time. Some people only write for, like, an hour at a time. Some people write at midnight. Some people write, you know, keep regular business hours. Everybody's individual. Yeah. Writing is the only uh, sort of trend across the board is that you have to be writing to be a writer. <laughs> yep. So you got to write all day or as for as many hours as you can. I think the thing I hear the most often is... Uh, work hours um, or office hours rather so that people setting certain hours in their day that they are going to be writing just as if they had a nine to five job sort of to keep them streamlined. But again, that's not everybody. It's just something that I have heard a lot. I, I do that for myself. Yeah, me too. Well, I'm really curious to know what, you do to stay motivated, whether it is through just the writing process, kind of being in the slog of getting that work down or pitching the work, self-promoting. I mean, because these are, sounds like this is long-term project management that is largely self-directed. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. Well, in, in terms of staying motivated and staying inspired, you know, it's tough at different stages. It, uh, it can become, incredibly challenging you know there's there's some stuff with projects once they're once a project is sort of off and running it has its own legs then it gathers momentum but when you're starting from zero on a project i mean that is i'm going to keep coming back to twitter that's one of the reasons why twitter Mm. has been helpful is because it is like a group of um like accountability buddies and people that keep you um moving forward um but also it's like you gotta, like any other area of something that's art related, I think it's like if you wanna be an actor or director or dancer or painter or whatever, 
you just have to really want to do it. <laughs> and that means getting up in the morning and making sure that you do it. I think it also really helps if you take control and do some of your own stuff. All three of us have done some of our own projects and that makes such a huge difference because if you're just, if all you do is write screenplays, send them out, wait for someone to read them and get back to you and hope that someone likes it enough to hire you, that gets really disheartening. That can take years and years. So you've got to, in order to stay excited about doing it, to stay excited about the business and about your own creativity, I think, go make a short film. Go, you know, even if it's only a silly little YouTube video, just get something done that is within your control so you're not just sitting waiting for everybody all the time. Absolutely. It, yeah, uh, I think that it. Also, as a writer, because you're creating your own... I mean, if you're starting out, you're writing on spec, so you're creating your own work. Um, if you're writing about things that are really important to you, right? Really, passion project is obviously the most common phrasing for that. But if it's something that you have to tell, a story that is coming forth from like the center of your being, that that can push you forward... But it's, I mean, and that's what it, that's how it works for me personally. But screenwriting, I mean, I know for actors, there's the element of like, the film industry takes forever for everybody. And for actors, you're going into rooms and hoping somebody's going to say yes to you. And screenwriting is the same way unless you're making your own work. So just yeah. like what Emily said, if you are just writing and selling your scripts, even if somebody buys it, they don't have to make your movie. They could, honestly, a studio could buy your film so that nobody else makes it so that they can make their own version of that movie. Yeah. Like, the only way to have to get that feeling of I have control in this industry is to write and make your own work. Yeah. A lot. I mean, you know, the, the writer producer thing is not, it's not a new invention, but it is becoming increasingly a more popular way to go because, because then you can have that satisfaction of, of seeing a project through to completion. And also, you know, there's so much content out there as I'm sure you're aware. Um, it, to really make a splash these days and get noticed, having more than just the writing skill, being able to see a project through is a, uh, it kind of, it puts you in a different class and it's helpful. I, I read an article yesterday and you guys can all tell me what you think about this, but I read a piece by Josh Olson who wrote, uh, history of violence. Mm -hmm. Right. And he, the piece was called, I will not read your yeah, that, that piece, Did you yeah. guys read that? Yeah. So I guess this pissed a lot of people off, but it's basically like, don't go up to a professional screenwriter and ask them to read your script and then yell at them for not doing it. Like you don't understand what their, what their life is like and how busy they are. But he says in that, that one of the things that's annoying about that question is that even if he says no and you find that to be discouraging, like then you aren't a writer because mm. you should not be able to be discouraged out of writing if you are a writer because that's how badly you have to want to do this because it's exhausting. I know a guy who came out who said, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to spend one year. And then if I don't become a writer by the end of that year, I'm going to go back to back to work. Oh, yeah. Time and that limits is, are death. That is no. such a ridiculous, like, the, the naivete of that. And guess what? It didn't happen. And the guy quit yeah. and gave up writing. I mean, if that's your, if you give yourself one year to become a writer, you're going to quit writing, don't even start. Because that's, the chances of that working out are so minimal. And if your commitment level is that low, what's going to happen when you do get hired? Yeah. yeah. And you have to do 30 rewrites. Yeah, a script in yeah. a month with notes from forty people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, you know, as we've learned again from the um, wide array of guests we've had on our podcast, most people who become really, really successful in this have been in it for a long time, and they've always had a very long haul mentality about it. Um, it is definitely a marathon. Not a sprint. <laughs> did, we, did we sort of answer your question? <laughs> yeah. No, Caroline and I are just sitting back listening, fascinated. Um, and it's reminding me, as I'm hearing y'all talk about especially that conviction and the hard work and just sort of the, the long road that you have to hoe to get there, I realize that I have seen either on screen or read 
depictions of, you know, the, the convicted male screenwriter who has this, you know, he has to write. This is his passion. But then stereotypically, I, I don't know that I've ever seen it portrayed as the, the female screenwriter. It's always like, oh, well, of course, if she wants to go to Hollywood, then she wants to be in front of the camera. Which is exactly how Hollywood looks at it as well. Oh, I, I was told that when I moved out here, uh, some someone uh, told me, "Oh, you're pretty enough to be an actress. It's funny you're going to become a writer. It's like that's the end goal. Like, why aren't you being an actress? Right? Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think no. It is the uh, the screenwriter is a typically stereotypically male character. Um, and you know, we have dug sort of deep to find as many female screenwriters as we can to come on the podcast. We actually and diverse writers. White male thing like <laughs> the rule. Yeah. I, I feel like like when any of my white male friends are like, when am I gonna come on the podcast? I'm like, well dude, you're white and you're a dude. So you're gonna have to wait in line. Because yeah. because we parcel those out. Those don't And because there are and you know, not that we don't love them, everyone's <laughs> born how they're born, man. But uh, you know, there's a lot of white male yeah. screenwriter dudes. You have to look, but like that doesn't mean don't look. Right. Yeah. You There's know? women around. I got a, um, just because the directing situation is sort of similar to the screenwriting situation, um, I got a call the other day from somebody who works at a pretty decent-sized studio looking for a female director because they, quote, didn't know any. Oh, God. Um and needed to find one because everybody on the team had unanimously decided we need a female director <laughs> for this next thing, which was like great props to you. But literally you have your interns calling their friends. Like you can't, yeah, you don't have the resources to go out and find female directors. And it's the same thing with female screenwriters. There's like 10, everybody knows that have made it through whatever barrier and nobody's make well, they're making a bit more of an effort now, but they're not making yeah. enough of an effort to look for those women who do exist. So I think it like things are coming out, like there's this awesome thing called the director list that somebody put together. What Destry Martino created it. It's now it has over nine hundred working female directors listed wow. on there. So somebody actually Googled director list? It's, yeah. it's the directorlist.com and she like I don't know how many of those women are represented, but I would, I would guess like 5%. Yeah. I, the, the ratio is really low and, and women have been, um, and I, I'm not saying that this is a universal rule. I understand that there are exceptions, but I feel like a lot of women have been sort of relegated to the, to the indie area for years and years. Um, because, because of various <laughs> complicated reasons, it's difficult to break in. Um, there, the glass ceiling is a real thing, and it's wonderful that we're, it's part of our like cultural conversation now, trying to fix this and trying to achieve parity. And the more we can raise the profile of, of the large discrepancy between the number of working female writers and working male writers, I think, I think the better it gets. But, you know, there's work to be done for sure. Well, so in terms of, of women working on a lot of indie movies, do you, is that because they are helming these entire projects themselves? Like you talked about, you know, if you want yeah. to get your, yeah. 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 And so you end up finding, um, like the director and the writer are the same person for the majority of these indie projects that we're talking about. Yeah. You know, Kristen and I did an episode on on women directors in Hollywood, and it seems like there is a lot of attention on female filmmakers as outsiders kind of looking in and following Twitter and, and following trend stories and stuff like that. Do you feel like there is a similar amount of attention or enthusiasm or curiosity about female, whether it's filmmakers, but screenwriters in particular in Hollywood? Or do you think that people are just yes. treating women like a trend? I think it's amazing what's happened in the past year. Um, you know, since we started the podcast, we, you know, the first couple episodes, I feel like we talked with a lot more of a, a sense of despair and mm. anger. And this was less than a year ago, our first episode. Yeah. yeah. And, and things have, have changed. The conversation has changed drastically in the past year. I, I don't know what the numbers are like yet, but I do know that 
studios and production companies, big ones, are actively seeking out women writers to come in and pitch now. Um, everyone all over town is looking for female-driven stuff. People are, it seems to me from, from my little corner, <laughs> that um, people are taking notice. And also people are taking notice of the of the dollars that women spend at the box office. I mean, Fifty Shades, we can... We can tear that to shreds all day, but it did amazing numbers with, and it was all women. Yeah, way. same with Pitch Perfect. And I'm excited to go see Magic Mike this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I follow a lot of like comic book movies and superhero stuff, and uh, that's been interesting because you know when people were talking about the Wonder Woman movie, there was a big clamor for the Wonder Woman movie to be directed and/or written by a woman, and people complained about it, like why should it matter? Blah, blah. But because people complained and yelled and made such a fuss about it they did go out of their way to find a female director. And yeah. that bled over when they went to make, when now they're making the Captain Marvel movie and they made absolutely certain that their writing team, they had one writing team that was women. And when that writing team didn't work out, they went out and found another female writing team. Oh. Um, the same people who did agent Carter, okay. TV, which oh, is cool. great. So, um, they're already in the Marvel family as well, but it, it's, it's in it, that is a field that has traditionally been just do, 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 do everywhere because how could a woman write an action movie? That's impossible. <laughs> I think it's going to be really telling in the next year to see what actually was fruitful this year because it it does like not to be the uh, naysayer here, but um, it's it's incredibly exciting to hear how many people are looking for female driven work, looking for female writers, and looking for female directors right now. Like that for sure has not happened before. It's new. It's amazing. I have still noticed that it it does feel like this is the project that we're going to put a woman on a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to like, I haven't heard very many reps talking about, I want to bring like five more female writers onto my slate. Uh, I hear like there is interest and people are talking about it and they're, they're more aware of it. That's yeah. for certain. It's like start. execs cannot, can no longer say, women don't make movies that make money. Like there's, there's a, a number of things that have now been proven to be fact that are ridiculous, that you actually sound very like antiquated talking about and uninformed. (laughs) If you go on that old tirade about how women can't make movies that sell, but you know, we're not quite there yet. I think Jill Soloway said it was either Jill or Gina Davis who said that we would have to have only female directed content for like 70 <laughs> years to achieve parody. Something like that. I'm Whoa. probably butchering that, but you get the picture. So what would you say then to the people who go, uh, what does it matter if a woman writes the screenplay or not? Um, well, <laughs> aside from employing women, I mean, it's that, that question of do women tell stories differently? Well, they certainly hire more women. That's yeah. proven that if you have a woman helming a project, it is way more likely to have more women employees in general. I always use the cat, uh, the Ms. Marvel example. Um, that's like my go-to answer to this kind of question is, uh, in, in comic books, it's, it's like 90% white dudes, just like every other form of entertainment. Um, in the last year and a half, two years, I don't remember when it started, but they started a new Ms. Marvel. And Ms. Marvel used to be a leggy blonde woman who is now Captain Marvel. Um, the new Ms. Marvel is a Pakistani teenager in New Jersey. And, Reading that comic book is a breath of fresh air because it's not the same white guy who's, you know, handsome and Ken doll-like. Uh, it's not the same, not that I don't love Captain America, but it's not the same guy you see in every other comic book. Ms. Marvel is amazing because you're like, oh, look, a story about someone I don't see in every single other book. Yeah. So I think that what women can bring to it, and minorities as well, is... A di- just a different perspective. It's not that we write necessarily differently. It's not any any question of talent. It's just getting a new voice that's got experiences that are different and a culture that's different. Right. It's really nice to see. So it's not that, you know, people who fall into the white male category can't tell incredible stories. I know many of my favorite whiter, writers, fall whiters. <laughs> many of my favorite writers fall into that category. Um, 
but yeah, it's just about different perspectives. Like our world, our culture is so shaped by storytelling. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And to deny that and to deny our culture different perspectives, I think is just detrimental to all of us. And I, yeah, the more, the more diversity we have in our entertainment, the, the more empowered the diverse makeup of our society feels. Um, I'm, I'm particularly passionate right now. Um, cause I tend to write, like I, I come from a, like a music background, not like a music background. I come from a music background. Yeah. And so I do tend to write a, a lot of stories about rock stars and touring and music and bands right now. I, I am actively trying to work on projects where my characters are in STEM careers <laughs> and other things that, you know, I, I feel like, we have a million and a half Disney shows and YouTube channels that teach little girls that it's wonderful to be a celebrity and to be a rock star. And I would, I, I would love to see some shows come out in the next bunch of years that show little girls how awesome it is to be an anthropologist and a scientist and a doctor. Um, sorry, I just went off on a person. Yeah, I, yeah, no, I, agree. <laughs> I agree with that. Well, we want to see those films too, by the way. So yeah. please make them. <laughs> think, you know, one of the cool things about having the podcast, one of the many cool things is that before we go on the air, we very often get to hear what the writers are actually working on that they can't talk about yet. And uh, there will be some of those projects. Yeah. They yeah. are coming. Yeah. Just a little bit of, a little bit of good news. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, good. We're talking about good news, so I'm immediately going to steer the conversation to something negative. <laughs> um, so there was a recent post over on People Say to Women Directors, which is a really interesting but really distressing Tumblr. Uh, it called out uh, sexism in the script notes particular in particular. Have any of you guys experienced anything like that, especially with any strong female characters or female-driven relationships you might be creating? I, um, so I'm in the process of making my first feature film right now, and it is about, it is from the female perspective, the majority of the cast are, is made up of women, young women, and it is about, you know, sexuality, young female sexuality, and a very, uh, big deal exec read the script, which was, a, very exciting, um, and told us in a critical way, did we know that this movie was very much from the female perspective? <laughs> 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 Which I wish had been in an email because I would have printed it and framed it and put it on my wall. Uh, you got it. You got it, man. Yes, it is. But that was like... You know, he's the head of a huge company and he doesn't even realize that every movie he's ever seen has been from the male perspective and has the balls to like, to say that to people who are trying to do something else. Um, yeah. How so did, yes. How did you respond? How do you res like handle a situation like that gracefully? I, I just kind of laughed. I, I was like, this is great. Thank you. Uh, that is, in fact, the story. So if that's a negative, then I think we're not going to work together. I've had more frustrating experiences of late having other female creators tell me that they're not feminists, mm. um, which oh, yeah. I, you know, that's a, that's a whole can of worms that we could uh, get into for days. But it's, uh, that, it's really frustrating as things sort of, as we're experiencing this sea change, hopefully, um, that I think women get mixed up about, like, that they think that, oh, if you're a feminist, that means that you hate men and you don't mm -hmm. want men to be working as much as you are, you know, that, that thing of it, they feel that they have to join the boys club in order to be cool or really successful. We so love men. We're very excited about seeing Magic Mike. Yeah, I'm hoping that that mentality dies. I <laughs> met, as just like a small aside, I was at a union, I won't say which guild, but I was at one of the guilds at a meeting and talking to one of the many people who runs a women, the women's section. And uh, 
I started, I said something with the word feminist in it and she told me she wasn't a feminist and I, I, I just stopped talking. Make any sense. Like, you know, what do you say in that scenario? You're like, oh good, you're the one fighting for me. Uh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, my, my problem in that regard, uh, is as an action writer, I got told a lot early on, I can't write, I shouldn't write action films with female leads because no one is going to buy them, no one is going to watch them, they're not going to make any money, but that was before The Hunger Games and Gravity and Divergent, Frozen and Divergent, and now there's been a ton of them and now those people have stopped telling me that, but I've even had people in the business tell me that I needed to write more things with white male leads to prove that I could. Because it was like, well, if you only write women, how do we know you can write men? Um, yeah, and are they are they giving uh, men the same test? Yeah, of course not. No. Hey, can you write us a female lead just so we know you can do it? Emily's because women are like aliens, you guys. They're right. really hard. What was the? Uh, you don't have to say this if you don't want to, and you don't have to, and don't name the writer. But the cars thing that you guys. Oh yeah, a, really a, a specific A list writer whose movie you have seen, I guarantee you, um, makes a zillion dollars uh, a year. He basically said to me um, once when I was talking about screenwriting and, and how there were fewer women in screenwriting professionally, he said, well, the reason is that women just don't have what it takes to sleep in cars. Uh, men apparently are uh, willing to sacrifice and women aren't, was his point. Yeah, we're really bad at sacrificing yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. We're really a selfish gender. I also yeah. know a ton of male screenwriters sleeping in cars currently. Yeah. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> Everybody lately. I guarantee you this dude probably never slept in a he's car. Definitely. And right now he money owns... He makes per script. Yes. Yeah. He, he's very rich. Oh, man. Or maybe we're just better at finding, like, comfortable places to sleep <laughs> and generally taking care of ourselves. You're not allowed to be a professional screenwriter unless you've been homeless first. Apparently. And we're going to talk more with Chicks Who Script after a quick break. Is being a loud and proud feminist, as I as I see happening in the, the snapshots that I do see of uh, where, when I lurk on screenwriting Twitter, um, <laughs> is it a liability at all within the industry? Do you get branded in a way, or is it just um, more something that people unnecessarily try to avoid? Well, none of us works in the studio system. Yeah, yeah. so it's hard to it's really hard to say. I don't know. Yeah, I again like. Yeah, my experience is relatively, in terms of areas where that might happen, my experience is pretty limited. Um, because I tend, my stuff tends to be, if it's going into bigger hands, people with money, they they know my work and they are, like, excited to be working with me. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I've, I've had... I, I, we've watched as some people who swing sort of to the way other side of things who are like deeply using feminism on, uh, like maybe in a not so good way. Mm-hmm. Get, not get, naming get, names uh, or anything. Get uh, put in a rough spot and blacklisted, but I don't think that that's, I don't believe that that's based on their feminism. I think there, it's based on general attitude. Yeah, there's, um, did you guys see, I wish I could remember the name of the guy, interestingly enough, who made this little doc, but it's a video about the discrimination against female directors in Hollywood. Yeah, celluloid ceilings. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and it is on Bloomberg. So I think I know all of those women except for one. Um, and they will tell you that they have, I mean, and they do in the video tell you that they've experienced blacklisting. Uh, so there are definitely those who have experienced it. And I think it's probably the women who've been the most outspoken, but then we also know women who've been on the podcast who say that they, not that they haven't experienced it. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a woman in this industry who hasn't experienced sexism. Although, maybe they don't realize they've experienced sexism. Um, there was a writer who came on who I won't name, but she said that she couldn't talk about the, she couldn't really talk about the treatment that she got because she was worried that she would be kicked off the studio job she had. Right. Um, but that it had been very misogynistic and that she had just like, you know, thought to be, 
strong about it and sort of push her way through and not ruffle too many feathers. And that being, yeah, there is still an, definitely an attitude of that. You need to smile and play nice. And, and even if you are outspoken on various platforms, if you, if you don't really, you don't really want it to come up when you're going into big time meetings and stuff. So, so yeah, it's still, I think a tricky area. There's an element of that. Um, I just have an image of like some male exec bringing you onto the project and they're like, Oh, we just really needed a feminine perspective on this. You know, you're great cutie and then take a seat and you kind of just like, do you criticize the person, the exec for calling you cutie, which you would never say to a male writer ever. Yeah. Or like, sweetheart, sweetheart, giving you a hug. I've heard a lot of times that like, you know, you'll go into the meeting as a woman and the executive will try and give you a hug, which you would never do also. But do you make a stink about that? Or do you take the job because they have made the effort to hire a woman and then on the next job, not work with that person? That's, um, I think that is the line that probably most people are walking. And that's what's kind of icky is should we be grateful that they've given us opportunities even though we're women? Right. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Well, to start closing things on a high note, because obviously, (laughs) (laughs) because we don't want to, we don't want to discourage all of the, you know, the uh, hopeful screenwriters listening. Um, Most of our episodes, at least lately, have been really positive. Like, I mean, I went home from our last recording and immediately launched myself into two new projects, and now I'm overloaded with work. Good good job, me. Um, But it was because we we get inspired most of the time. So most of our stuff, is it started a little dark, but like you said, I think that over the course of the last year, we now have really gotten into a positive place. Yeah, we've seen a big evolution I would be interested to go back and actually listen um, in what the conversation is like. And the and the opportunities for women are getting, at least from where we stand, noticeably larger, higher profile. It is a pretty exciting time to be involved so in this community. if you are a lady thinking about writing, write. Now the, is the time. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to ask who y'all's role models are who are the women in Hollywood or outside of Hollywood who you look to to stay inspired and motivated and Gina Davis yeah Gina Davis Diablo Cody Shonda Rhimes Shonda Rhimes Genji Cohen yeah uh oh my god Ava DuVernay yeah. is like a beacon she's killing it right now she's killing it uh and is so inspiring on a daily basis uh, Kristen Smith, who wrote 10 Things I Hate About You and Legally Blonde, is awesome. Um, yeah. I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of people. I mean, Jill Soloway. Oh, Jill. Is, Jill is, Soloway. I mean, just watch that woman talk if you want to get inspired. Yeah. Um, who else? Tina Fey. Always. always. Amy Poehler. Hey, oh, and Amy Schumer. We Amy could go Schumer. on all day long. <laughs> But that's great. I mean, that's great that you could go on all day long. It would have been really kind of discouraging if you'd listed two names. <laughs> yeah. like, uh, only one lady. Yeah. Uh, no, there's a lot of people out there who are... Lindsay Kaling. Liz Merriweather. Oh, yeah, Liz. Yeah. Um, a lot of amazing women working, uh, particularly in television. Um, there's a lot of female showrunners who have... Uh, who started with one show and now run empires like Shonda, like Julie Pleck, Megan um, Ellison, who is killing yeah. it with bringing like really great content, yeah, into the world. Is there are there any projects coming up from any of these uh, women that you list as inspirations that you're super excited about? There's one project coming up from a writer we had on our show that we can't talk about. <laughs> well, so, so the answer is yes. We're just going to release an episode of us screaming. What is Allison's last name? Oh, Schroeder. Okay, so yeah. Keep an eye on Allison Schroeder, yeah, everybody. Gotcha. Wink, wink. Um, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> yeah. Well, what? Okay, Same so. Thing, um, Dylan Meyer, who's a, a friend of mine, and she was on the podcast, who's very cool, punk rock lady writer. Um has a movie coming out through Netflix called XOXO. Um, it's going to be really cool. Who else? Well, how about you guys? What's what's up next for you guys? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm making a film that will hopefully shoot at the end of this summer called The Bang Bang Girls, which is what I referred to earlier. 
Uh, and that is a the movie from drama. the female perspective. Yeah, the female about. perspective movie. <laughs> um, I just directed a series that I did not write. Um, Melanie Recker wrote it um, called The Friendless Five. And it's a teen adventure series, like a female Goonies. Um, and that should be... Maybe release online around November-ish, um, but we're, it might be coming out through some fancier platforms, in which case I don't know when it'll come out. <laughs> um, and I'm really excited because my short film that I finished uh, in late 2013, early 2014, is screening for the inaugural um, Muff Society event in San Francisco next week. Um, and it's opening for Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, which yeah. is one of my favorite movies about female friendship. Um, yeah, that's kind of what's going on with me. Um, I lately am producing. I'm, I still write, but uh, I, I'm determined to write and produce a feature about a, a heavy set black lesbian action movie. Uh, I mean, the movie's yeah. not a heavy set black lesbian. The protagonist <laughs> is a heavy set black lesbian. Um, because I feel like that's the thing that no one would ever, ever do. And so I'm determined to do it. But, um, what, uh, mostly I'm producing right now, uh, I made a short film about Doctor Who fans and cosplayers that's actually gonna screen at Dragon Con, uh, film festival in September. So comic book geeks, go see our movie. Um, and I will be there. Um, and I'm working on a TV series, a scripted TV series, a reality series, and another friend short film producing and writing, depending on the project. Yeah, girl. Yeah. yeah. Done. Just why I'm swamped with paperwork today. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the meantime, where can people go to find more info about you and follow you on Twitter if you would like them to? Uh, we would yeah. love that. Yeah. We are at CWS Podcast on Twitter. Um, we are www.chickswhoscript.com. You can also find us on the CWS podcast handle on Instagram and Facebook. And we all have individual Twitters. Yes. Mine is at Bamboo Killer. Also, my company is called Bear Trap Films. There's not a lot to it right now, but that's because I'm just getting started. Mm-hmm. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, and I am at Maggie Levin on Twitter and funruinerfilms.com. And I am at Lauren Shacker on Twitter. That's a C-H. Two of them. And then uh, y'all can like my film on Facebook, The Bang Bang Girls. That's that's it. We've got a lot of internet for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're very internet savvy. So much. It's so good. Um, well, was there anything that we did not ask you about or touch on that you would like to add before we go? Um, I would just say... For for all of your listeners, of course, if you're thinking about writing, give it a give it a whirl, man. Um, and particularly if you are a girl, there's a lot of resources out there to help you. Um, especially if you're well, even if you're not in the LA area, there's so many mentorship programs that are coming up. There's such an incredible community of female filmmakers that are really trying to help each other out right now. Oh, yeah. That if you've even thought about dipping a toe in and were too afraid about the, uh, beating the odds, uh, you know, if you've got the mindset for it and you feel inspired to tell stories, there's a lot of girls out there mm-hmm. who really want to help each other up the ladder. Definitely. And if you're in Los Angeles or New York, there are tons of like physical groups of women who meet up on a regular basis. Yeah. One is film fatales, although that's directors only. Um, obviously, uh, women in film has its own things, but there's also women in moving pictures out here in LA, which is run by the amazing Emily Best. I run Sweden Park. Um, if you're not checking out what Emily Best is doing, you should absolutely. Uh, also, yeah. I would say um, people sometimes, you guys may not know this because I answer all the emails. Um, people email us a lot for advice. Uh, it's podcast at chickswhoscript.com. Um, if you want advice, I usually, if I don't know the answer, will point you to a place that will give you the answer. So feel free to email us and ask questions. Yeah. The and cool, then the cool thing about living in the internet era is access. Uh, it's so easy to self-educate about how to be a screenwriter nowadays. And there's so many people out there who are willing to answer your questions just on the spot. So, And there are so many scripts that you can read. And if you want to write, you should be reading, reading. great yeah, scripts. Read, 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 read. Yeah. Um, and if you are a male writer and you're like, how does this apply to me? No rape. <laughs> no rape, please. We're done with rape. Uh, but also, if you, I mean, just like take one of those characters you've written as a dude and just make it a woman. It's not... 
men and women aren't that different. In fact, you might get a really interesting perspective out of that character because you probably wrote that character as yourself and now it could be a woman and you could really be helping some boys and girls who are going to be watching your film one day. Also, I have a, yeah, one of my biggest issues is, is background characters being women. A lot of times if you need a doctor or a mechanic, it's always a dude. Oh yeah. Secondary characters. It, every character in a lot of movies, every character who who is a woman is only a woman because she has to be. She's a wife or mother or girlfriend or whatever. Make a, just a random character a woman who yeah. doesn't have to be. Yeah, and I, I also, I, gosh, this is a lot. Sorry, we um, could talk forever. Yeah, guys. I, I think I think it's also important to note that as much as we are deeply craving strong female characters. Not every woman in your script has to be a super ninja genius. Yes, exactly. Women can be Very. stupid just as much as they can be brilliant. And bad guys. Don't and be women can be villain good guys and bad guys. Women can be all of the things. In fact, did you know women are 50% of the world's population? More than. Oh my we God. live longer. <laughs> Wait, what? Hold on. It's mind-blowing. You heard it here first, you guys. <laughs> Well, thanks again so much to Lauren, Emily, and Maggie for taking the time to talk with us. Caroline, I don't know about you, but I feel like I have some insider knowledge on Hollywood now that I didn't have before, and also on screenwriting Twitter. I know. I, I think I'm going to start lurking. Yeah, yeah. Might as well. Just to, just to see what's going on. Let's just, you know, lurk. Maybe, yeah. maybe tweet a thing or two. Well, it would also be nice to, to get a, a perspective on things that are happening in Hollywood and in the film industry that aren't just like weird celebrity feuds. Things that are actually a little more interesting to read about. Well, and it's, it's so informative to know what's going on at this background knowledge level to help all of these headlines that we do see about just women in Hollywood in general. Yeah. Pay gaps, representation, female ghostbusters, etc. <laughs> it's helpful to know what is really happening, especially when you aren't necessarily, uh, super top dog A-lister. Yeah. And I mean, I think plenty of the of the perspective that they gave is helpful to people, whether you want to be in screenwriting or not, especially the stuff about, you know, they mentioned that guy who up and quit his job and said, I'm going to give writing a year. I'm just going to try it for a year. And if it doesn't work out, then I'm going back to my day job. And of course, when it didn't work out and he goes back to his day job, um, it was like he almost set himself up for failure. And I think that's a great story for really anyone who wants to give any dream a shot that you have to sort of give yourself a little bit more credit and a little bit more time. Yeah, maybe don't put a time limit on Achieving your dream? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now be sure, friends, to head over to chickswhoscript.com to learn more about Maggie, Emily, and Lauren. And also, of course, listen to their podcast. And you can find links to their website, uh, to where you can listen to the podcast, and also to all of their Twitters on this podcast post at stuffmomnevertoldyou.com. And we'd also love to hear from you. Was this an inspirational conversation for anyone listening? I know that we have some filmmakers and screenwriters in our audience, so we would love to hear from you. Momstuff at howstuffworks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at momstuffpodcast or message us on Facebook. And quickly, I just want to give a shout out to all of the fantastic podcasters who talked to us this summer for our hashtag podcasting women and Brian Safi <laughs> series. Uh, it's been a blast really getting to know some other people who are talking to the internet audio waves like we are. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. Well, I have a letter here from Christy in regards to our female urination device episode. Uh, it's, it's pretty technical. She's got some advice for how to use them. She says, Hi, ladies. I'm a PhD student in the biological sciences. I've been listening to your podcast for several years now while working in the lab. Thanks for making such an informative and amusing podcast. It's helped me through many hours of tedious experiments. Well, you're welcome, Christy. Thanks for taking us along. So anyway, she says, When I heard the FUD podcast, I was super excited and knew I finally had a good excuse to write in. As you mentioned several times during your show, FUDs are great 
for camping. I purchased one a few months ago for a five-day backpacking trip. I decided to take along a FUD for several reasons. First, I did not want to carry toilet paper with me. Second, I didn't want to expose my rear end to mosquito and tick bites. Third, I find it difficult to keep splashes away from my shoes when popping a squat. I settled on the Shiwi brand because it had an extension tube and a carrying case. Since I was wearing the same pant, for five days I didn't want any splashes on it or my hiking boots. The extension tube was really helpful with this. The carrying case allowed me to stash the FUD in an exterior easy access pocket without worrying the guys on the trip seeing it. Okay, now to the good part. I had the FUD for a few weeks before we left for the trip. I practiced in the shower the first time, and that was quite easy. The following few days, I used the FUD each time I urinated at home and stood over the toilet. The first few times I was standing, I still pulled my garments to my knees. After getting the knack of aiming at the toilet, I needed to practice while wearing my hiking gear. So the first time using the FUD while wearing my hiking pant is where this story gets amusingly embarrassing. Imagining this as how I would use the FUD out in the woods, I did the following. Unbutton and unzip the fly, but leave the pant at waist level. Stand above the toilet with slightly bent knees. Position the FUD against my body and think of waterfalls. I'd used the FUD successfully half a dozen times already without issue, but wearing my hiking pant while using the FUD caused me to hold it at a slightly backward angle. Thanks to gravity, my urine did not run down the funnel, but down my legs. So here I am, a 20-something early career professional, having peed my panties. Luckily, my husband was not yet home, and I didn't have to admit to him my mess. Needless to say, I had to spend the next half hour mopping up the bathroom and doing laundry. I did learn from the incident that the material of my pant is pretty stiff. I still had to shimmy it down while using the FUD. But my rear end stays covered by my underwear and is just pushed to the side while using the FUD. I haven't told anyone this yet, but if you want to share my funny story on your podcast, that's fine. Keep up the great work. You ladies are fantastic. And she has a P.S., she says, I like to say pant, Stacy London style, and that's a pet peeve of one of you, right? <laughs> and I think that harkens back to an old episode, like a, a long ago episode where I'm pretty sure I was the one who said that pant, the use of the word pant, irks me. Yeah, meanwhile, I'm in the camp of, if Stacy London says it, God. it's good enough for me. God, I just love her. She has my aspirational gray streak. It's a, it's a great streak. It's a great gray streak. It All is. mine's coming into my sideburns. What the heck? That's also distinguished. This, yeah. <laughs> great, great chops. Awesome. Well, thanks, Christy. <laughs> so I have a letter here from Beth. Actually, about a stuff mom never told you YouTube video that recently came out um, in which I read an email from a fella who thinks uh, I look horrible with makeup on. And this is something that will happen if you spend enough time time uh, putting your face with makeup on the internet, uh, you will get lots of guys um, thinking they're being kind and telling you that you don't need makeup. So, Beth writes, I really enjoyed your latest video addressing men who criticize women for wearing makeup. As someone who considers makeup a bit of a hobby, I find it really startling to see what feels like a large amount of men, and probably women too, feeling the need to criticize not only you, but many women on YouTube in particular for wearing makeup. I subscribe to a number of beauty bloggers, and I can't imagine how hurtful it must be to these women and men who are trained and professional makeup artists to be told how they look ugly or weird with makeup. Interesting enough, a number of these women also seem to be criticized when they appear barefaced as well. Yes, fact, that does happen. So apparently, for as many people out there that hate honest ladies for having makeup on, there are just as many willing to rip into us for going natural. Personally, I think spending that extra time on myself, both in the morning and in the evening, to remove my makeup has really helped boost my overall self-confidence and body image. That time of the day is mine. No one is there to bother me, and I feel like I can really just be alone with myself, literally staring myself in the face and taking the time to appreciate how I look with and without makeup. For me, it's like my version of meditation and my time to give myself a pep talk and work through any negative feelings I might have about myself. For those that don't wear makeup or don't get what the big deal is, I liken this to exercise. So many people seem to accuse those of us that wear makeup of doing it for other people, even if we insist we do it for ourselves. The same is true for exercise. You could tell me you love the rush of endorphins, the health benefits, or whatever, but I could turn around and say you do it to look good to other people. And there is certainly some truth in that, just as there is in wearing makeup. Who hasn't hit the gym a little harder when someone turned you down for a date? You might do 
do it for yourself, but maybe deep inside you also hope you'll look good to those around you. But at the end of the day, it's not about your outward appearance. And there's always going to be someone out there detracting from what you look like, whether it's because you're too thin, too fat, too made up, too plain, etc. But to me, if you feel good, you'll look good because the real you is there when you feel your best, makeup or no makeup. Or at least I like to think so. So thank you so much, Beth. Uh, I agree with your stance on makeup. And uh, she says, P.S. I happen to think red lipstick really suits you. So thank you, Beth. And my lipstick thanks you too. And if you have letters to send our way, momstep at howstuffworks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one with links so you can go check out Chicks Who Script, head on over to stuffmomnevertoldyou.com. this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 